Hello, hello. Good day, good morning, good evening. This is Aisha Elliott, and you're listening to Black Girl from Eugene. Um, I am sitting on my back porch in Central America. I've been here for about four and a half months or so. My family is tied to this particular country for the last 29, 30 years. Um, And I came to say hello and goodbye to the country in certain ways. Um, this, I'm, I'm surrounded by, by my grandchildren who are playing, so you may hear them in the background. And before we get started, today we will be talking about, um, social, emotional connection to our relationship to racism and just how avoidant that is through the practices of white supremacy culture. So that's where I'm going to head, and um, you've got me. I don't have a guest today, and if you would like to be a guest on my show and you are BIPOC and you have things to talk about, please hit me up in my email, and I'd be happy to uh, talk more about that. I do have a couple guests in mind that are coming up in the future, but, you know, these things take time, and scheduling is what it is, and I guess there's this holiday thing that's happening too, so uh, be patient, please. And also my Patreon supporters who have been with me for the last four years, thank you so much for supporting me. I really have not been pushing my Patreon very much, um, but the folks who have hung in with me um, definitely are the troopers and benefit from a newsletter and a video to talk about things that have come up in the, the media or just in life period to encourage, empower, and to give nuggets of truth to um, the existence of black women in predominantly white spaces. And um, I think it's been, it's been fruitful. It's so I've heard, so I have heard. Anyway, thank you. To get to the matter at hand. Um, so, you know, I'm really, really like interested and curious about how people relate to themselves and their relationship to racism. And I think the truth lies in the idea that people don't, most people don't believe they have a relationship to racism. And I think a lot of times when we talk about white supremacy culture, people immediately don't think that black and brown people are connected to that culture as well. Obviously we are. If you live in a post-colonized world, you are living under the constraints and oppression of white supremacy culture. The culture affects us all. It only benefits one group. So I feel like that's something that we talk about pretty loosely. And I, and I talk to folks who believe that they understand this work. They believe that they are doing the work and that the work being, you know, um, having some sort of knowledge, some sort of, of ongoing um, conversations about race itself and believe that that's probably poignant. Now, I'm not knocking the idea of knowledge because, duh, obviously, please, please, please have knowledge of vocabulary, please have knowledge of history, please have knowledge of other people's circumstances. But can we agree that that probably is not enough in order to eradicate systemic racism and or share a space in authenticity? It's not enough because it's theoretical, right? You're talking about someone's lived experience and and reality as if it's theory, because to you, someone of privilege, it, it with living in the bubble of privilege, it really is, right? Which then already creates this disconnect of shared, exp- of shared reality. 
and the truth of it is it's shared because there is you can't have superiority without someone having without inferiority right and so the the idea of coming through and and actually exercising um relationship to racism in a way that is internalized you have to go into a social and emotional connection to it um you know and i believe that that is difficult for a lot of people to do and that's where my work comes in um as an executive you know advisor and equity advisor i don't actually talk about definitions and do you know can you recognize a microaggression i mean obviously i do to some extent but the truth of it is, is that the, the relationship to our nuances, the relationship to our social, socialized, um, uh, our socialized and uh, through socialization agreed upon, uh, and I don't even want to say agreed upon because that's not true either, <laughs> but um, you know, the ways that we actually uh, carry ourselves and, and conduct this culture of our, of, that we're all under is something that I don't... Because it's so hidden in our consciousness that we actually don't um, want to bring it out into the forefront and say, why do I do that? Why do I say that? And when I say that, what does that mean? And not just mean to someone else, but what does it mean to me? And the thing about white folks is that there's a lot of their reality that they don't do that with. (laughs) They don't go, why do I do that? Because why would you, right? It's beneficial. It's, it's, your life is, is working for you like so the social the systemic uh benefits that you um enjoy or why would you question it right the the assumption that while you're in the room and there happens to be a black and or brown person in the room with you the assumption that we all came to that space in the same way is something that you can afford to do because it's, it's, it goes along with the blindness of privilege. But the truth of it is, is that there's so much information as we go into 2023, you would have to be actually um, really in, in a deep denial to not connect yourself to someone else's oppression. And that denial, I think, is fair because nobody wants to believe that they are perpetuating harm while not actively perpetuating harm. But I think if we can focus on the both and and try to realize that you can both be trying to help and be perpetuating the harm if you're not understanding what the harm really truly looks like. Um, and so, you know, the, the harm, what really, the true harm is in the system. It's systemic. So like, of course, you're like, oh, you know, how am I responsible? It's not that you're responsible, but at the same time, you're kind of responsible. The reason why is because it's the same idea of what of the definition of racism, right? People throw out black folks are racist, white, you know, Hispanics are racist. I, I know what you're trying to say, but black and brown people, indigenous people cannot be racist. They can't be racist because racism requires systemic power, which none of them have, right? None of us have that. So we can be discriminatory, we can be prejudiced, we can be biased, which, you know, yes. And, and at the same time, it doesn't have the same systemic power as when white folks decide to discriminate due to color because they have systemic power behind that discrimination. So with that being said, you know, the, the idea that 
systemically, you actually have the power to stand against the system because the system reflects your privilege. Other people don't have that power. So both and, right? You actually can press against the system to, to um, insist on systemic change, right? The thing about systemic change and insisting on it, the fear that you may lose something, I always challenge people to say, well, what is it that you would lose? If you can't really put a name on it, you're talking about generational inf- inf- uh, superiority, right? You can't even put a finger on it. You're like, I don't know. And it's not like I'm saying, you know, all white folks have to be, you know, burning down the buildings and things like that. I'm not saying that. Everybody has a role. <coughs> Excuse me. Everyone has a role. Um, and there's, there's absolutely certain ways that you can push against the system and, and say that you know that you are watching inequity happen. You know, I always use this example for people. I mean, it's just as simple as asking your coffee shop, you know, um, what kind of equity plan do they have in place? Like, because you didn't know, you've noticed that there's not very many people of color that work here. And, but um, you're just like curious. How do you feel about, um, like, what was your stance? Did you make a stance, you know, for, for or against gay marriage? And you're like, do I, I do that to the Bartista? I don't know. I'm not saying charge them up. I'm just saying have a conversation. Make it be known that it's something that you can, that you are absolutely that you are absolutely thinking about and that it is on your mind. That is what something that you know you have noticed and something that you're curious about. Something that you really want to know. Like how, how is the people that I give my money to, how are you, what is your stance? Because I'm definitely supporting your business. So I would definitely want to make sure that I'm supporting something that I could agree to. So, you know, if my, excuse me, my grandson's in the background. So, you know, that's just a simple way. Because the more people who ask, the more it becomes on the radar. It, the businesses and the system is looking for money. So when equity becomes a dollar, right? When equity, equity becomes a source of contention for losing money, trust me, they will make a better effort. And the effort is not to say... Like I said earlier, what is your relationship to racism? It's not really about seeing people's faces represented. It's about the power that that representation has, the influence that it has to change the system that we're talking about. It's about where are we, how are we able to allow, right? Because that's the truth. When you're in power and you are the person of privilege, truthfully, until you are in an equitable stance, you are allowing someone to be seen and heard, which is only going to work for a little bit of time because that's actually not true equity, right? We have to open the gates. We have to open the, we have to open the opportunity. And, you know, if there's fear in that, you have to lean into what exactly are you scared of, right? And it's not like, oh, I'm going to lose my job. No, it's not. Because if you have systemic power and you're privileged and you're white and you're talented, you will find another one, right? So, that, so th- go deeper than that. Go deeper than I might lose my job because th- that's another one's coming, right? So that ain't it. There's something a little deeper to this. And what I mean is that when a black and brown person is leading the charge, is creating the design, is implementing the process, 
somewhere in more than a few of you, you or your colleagues have a buried down instinct to second their leadership. So what I mean by that is that it's not enough. It's not enough to have black and brown people in, in leadership, especially when they're having to have checks and balances by white folks who will then validate whether or not their authenticity and their representation of the culture is valid. We haven't done anything. You said we haven't changed anything, right? We're, that's performative and problematic at best. So there's a bigger problem, right? Well, we're, how do the businesses get ready for a black or brown person to come into the midst and actually do the work in a way that's beneficial in an inclusive environment? You know, now, now, don't get me wrong. You got plenty of black and brown people who are coming up on boards, who are coming up into the businesses, and they're like, well, we have a black person here, and it doesn't, doesn't seem to be a problem. Um, look, let's go back to what I said at the beginning. White supremacy culture affects black people, too. And just like, you know, I don't know if y'all know people who <laughs> have the graduate's degrees or PhDs. If you ever like know folks like that and you know that the further and further they go into their dissertation or go into their doctorates, that they start sounding more and more academic and they start sounding more and more like the books that they're writing. So you're like, damn, how did we lose them to the, to the, the academia, right? Um, and, and academics know this, right? If you find an academic who still is grounded on the ground, like they still understand and want to be in the functions of the people versus the design of the system, right, or analyzing the design of the system, that's a rare person that can stay grounded after they've been through the, the tight wash of academia. It's the same thing for black and brown people when they've made it through to the ranks of, of and I'm air quoting, success, with white supremacy culture being shoved down their throat to really um, uh, erase the, the, or if they ever even knew the consciousness of blackness or the consciousness of, of our collective diaspora, to be able to, to translate that into working systems is a rare human being. So you can't just bring in a black person and go, well, we got a black person, I don't know what the problem is. That doesn't mean that that person is, is representative of change in a way that's inclusive of the black community. There are plenty of black people who, don't, who, are, who are confused about their own identity in blackness, right? And so for them not to take away their story, not to take away their plight, but if you are going to lean everything onto somebody because they're black, you're also missing the point, right? It's just like saying, you know, that because you're tall, you must play basketball. Not necessarily. All black folks aren't representative of black culture and or the well-being of black people. And I would say the same for Hispanic folks. I mean, you know, we've got a whole issue of identity, colorism, alignment to white supremacy, culture that does not benefit the population in, in any way. And that's a, a conversation that, they're, that we are having inwardly. And also, it doesn't help when you have white folks on the outside believing that they know what the issue is in the inside. It's complex. It's complex. And when someone understands their relationship to racism, they will realize that they really can't dictate what is happening inside someone else's culture. 
you know, especially when they're trying to, that particular culture is trying to have some sort of bicultural experience or alignment to white supremacy culture that does not reflect their, uh, does not reflect their, their, um, uh, their morals, does not reflect who they are or how they've been raised, doesn't reflect their language, all of that, right? There are plenty of us of color who work within the system who understand how to flip-flop that, you know, the code switch it, how to maintain one culture and maintain yet another at the same time. But I'm saying that that's not, you know, that's not every person that you come across. So knowing someone who is trying to build a space of equity and build a space of inclusion, it needs the people that you're looking for understand their own relationship to racism. They understand the nuances of, of microaggressions. They understand the impact and they understand the ongoing ripple effect that it has not only on themselves, but on the person who is, who is um, experiencing it and the, and the ripple effect and consequence it has on the work that, we're do- that you all are doing, right? That's someone who actually understands this work, not someone who can quote off all of the definitions and needs and dates and dates and times and, and, and call out racism every time they see someone un- something unjust, Right. I mean, I'm not saying that those things are important, but that ain't it. That ain't the it. Right. So um, I don't know. I'm try- I'm thinking about so much stuff. Um, I-, I would suggest the experience of being a foreigner and in-, in someone else's country for more than six months. I would and I would recommend. And I know people. Oh, that's so privileged. Who does that? Look. I'm telling you, if you believe that you have to live somewhere else the way you live in the United States, you wouldn't, you're not going to make it, right? If you believe you have to, uh, if you don't have the, the um, what is it, the, I kind of want to say experimentation, but like the exploration or the adventure to, to try to just be in another space um, that you are not, the, you are not in power and sit in that. <laughs> that way. So you have to be able to sit in that. And then all the feelings that you're having, all of the gut, ex- gut, gut expectations, all of the, I want this to happen. That, that right there is going to help you find you a little bit more. It's going to help you find your, uh, your relationship to your superiority as a white person. And as black folks, it will actually help you find where your white supremacy culture is, 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 has led you to where you're at. Because you'll all of a sudden be sounding like the, the same person that you're trying to run from uh, in the state. You're like, how did I, what did I just say? Like, did I just expect, <laughs> did I just expect some service when I definitely don't deserve it? Right? I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm playing and joking, but like, you know what I'm saying? The, being, being in being in a space that is um, being in a space that is not your own and having and not having to, but allowing yourself the um, the respect, giving the respect to where you are and allowing yourself not to be, you know, the, the power person in the room. You know, black folks outside of America, we have 
generally more global respect, although racism is alive and well everywhere. As I sit here in Central America, trust me, racism is here as well. It's not as violent as it is in the United States, but it's here. And um, so having to understand our position, even with, uh, you know, financial superiority, being able to put yourself into a position of inferiority, put yourself into a position that you have to actually um, uh, maybe go second, third, or fourth. And not in terms of, like, like for me, where people of color travel, it's like, oh, yeah, well, we're used to being second and third. And all of a sudden, people are like, oh, you're not, you're black, but you're American. So American means you've got some superiority over the space. And I always find it interesting how quickly black and brown people will jump into that role and be like, yeah, 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 of course, yeah, I got that. So, so uh, you know, that kind of thing is something that I feel like we have to really kind of watch and see, like, where it is that it pops into our mind. Shh, shh, shh. I know, I know. Um, so it really pops into our mind of how we're feeling and what we're, what we're actually not in touch with, right? Mm-hmm. What we're really underneath our, what's underneath our skin, you know, what's really our relationship to racism? What, what how do we really identify ourselves uh, through this construct of race and power. It's interesting. And I think when we actually look at that in more critical detail, we'll actually understand how racism plays out in the socialized um, perspective of our society. And I feel like if white folks um, and, and um, can, if white folks especially can just take time to try to articulate their superiority, articulate their history, uh, articulate how they got, put a finger on that internalized um, superiority that is, like I said, for the most part, hidden through privilege and through socialization, there'll be a better connection to how we actually can function in the same room together. It's, you know, and and I don't, it's so funny because I actually had a post and we're talking about Brittany Griner coming back and just how strange the whole system of prisoner exchange is and just how violent this dude was and how, you know, seemingly simple uh, her conviction seemed to be um, and the unevenness of that and just the, the way that that plays out that we don't really know. And so it's something that, like, I feel that there's just so much paternalism that most of us don't recognize, you know, and paternalism being that, like, you know, the, the systems at play and you don't, no one really knows how they work. They just do. And we just kind of go, oh, yeah, that's, you know, when people go, oh, that's them. You know, that's how it works. What the hell is it? What is it? Who is they? Right? So all of those type of things um, that here we are in 2023, this is our opportunity to stop with the, yeah, it's just them and go, I'm sorry. Who? Who is the they? And do I agree with the they? And it's funny because it's not, I think it's happening. But as you look at the voting polls and you look, we still have, it's the same dynamics. We're having a hard time switching over the dynamics. You know what I mean? We're having a hard time pulling, uh, you know, privileged people to understanding their own ability to, to write these laws that actually work against them in the long run, you know, 
Maintaining the same level of ignorance in the eyes of privilege actually is not helpful. And the more that you look at that, you'll find how it's not. And it just keeps it really embarrassingly ignorant. Um, And I feel like if people can understand that it's not like, oh, I'm doing it for the gay population. No, it's not about that. It's about the rights of human beings and the idea that you have to look at someone else and decide whether it's right or wrong is laying yourself in a space of, of superiority that you didn't deserve or earned and frankly is a sense of control that doesn't that if <laughs> that doesn't make sense and you and people see this is the thing People will say, oh, you know, I'm not scared, I'm not fearful. But then other people will argue that white folks in superiority are are fearful of black folks turning around and doing the same thing to them. What if they get control and then they want to, like, they get power and then they want to control what I do? And then they'll be mad about everything we've done. And then we'll be punished. That's actually, like, so Eurocentric and, and superiority. Like, I'm sorry, what's the word I'm looking for? It's so... I mean, besides the dynamic of fear, it's that idea that we're <laughs> that at any point in time that black and brown people are just as vengeful or just as power hungry or just as desperate to hold on to their to a position of power or to get to a position of power that they would do that they would do that uh-uh, get some shoes that they would be doing um, the fear of what they would be doing to maintain it. What is that? What is that? Does that make sense? Like to me, when it's never, ever been a thing, it's never been a thing. Where does that narrative come from? And then you got to look at yourself. Well, I don't think like that. But then think like that. Think for a second. You may not think actively like that. But what does your behavior say? You know, and it's like, oh, I'm just not a confrontational person. I don't I have a real fear of conflict. I understand that, but I'm not asking you to be to to start a fight, right? This is really the benefit of yourself, you know, to to understand that people next to you, people across the the state the state from you, people across the country from you are fighting for the rights of American citizens, which includes you. So if you're not actually including people because of their, their sexual orientation, because of their gender, or because of the, skin, the color of their skin, there's got to be a better reason than it just has been like that, or I think it's, you know, or, or uh, I'm just, I like this one, I'm just financially conservative, so that's why I, I voted for this, so that's why I did that. It's kind of like, ah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if people don't understand that, like, even in this oppression, people are still showing up fully oppressed because that's what they have to do to get to the next day. Their families and their communities depend on that. And they're taking the very lowest scraps and still showing up every day. I don't I mean, that's why I think the experience of going somewhere else outside of your comfort zone and to find the other perspective is so important. It doesn't have to be luxurious. It doesn't even have to be expensive. It just needs to be intentional and you need to be open. That's just, I mean, I'm all for it. I'm all for immersion. <laughs> I'm all for the experience, y'all. Um, you know, and trust me, I, we ain't never had money, but I've definitely been to a, a couple few countries to um, 
really understand. I never actually went to understand my privilege. I only went because I knew there was, um, there, there was more to the world that I just don't know. And I still have so much to, of the world I don't know, you know, and I, and I want to know. Not because it means that I will be a better person for it. I mean, that's just like a byproduct, right? But I want to know because I don't know, right? Like, you know, everyone's talking on this, this you know, um, uh, on this trade and having all of these wild opinions. And I mean, nobody's saying, I don't know. And I think it's like really important that we recognize that we just don't know. And maybe it's time that we just know a little bit more outside of what's being shown to us. I think it's pretty clear so far that there's more to what has been shown to us. And the fact that, I mean, I don't know, you know, I don't know. I, I rather be in the, in the presence of people who speak multiple languages and that's not like a, ooh, so fancy. You guys, United States are the only country that does it. It's not fancy that someone speaks three languages. It's actually pretty average and normal. <laughs> Right? It's throughout the world is what I'm saying, right? Throughout the world. And, you know, I, I personally feel like, uh-uh, no. I personally feel like that's something that I could catch up on. I could catch up on. I could catch up on some language. I could catch up on some perspective, you know? And I'm telling you, when you can speak languages, a language gives you different pictures to draw, different colors to paint with. And if you've only ever used one, it's a pretty narrow view, you know? Like I said, I'm not saying anything's right or wrong. I'm just saying there's more. And when you have more, think of the potential, right? The potential's endless. I mean, for, for someone like the United States that just always thinks about money, I can't imagine. You know, it's, it's hilarious to me that the potentiality of inclusion just is too much, you know, is too much uh, to control uh, when it comes to bringing down the, the power into the, to the stratosphere, right? And bringing it down into the roots um, and that privilege of just the one that gets to call the shots, the one that controls the system, the one that will always benefit. So when it breaks down, they will always have a place to stand, Right. And I am so excited for 2023, 2024, and 2025 because I think we have flipped a script. And I think if we stay vigilant and stay open and stay curious, we can really have a very brand new um, order of society in the next 10 years, bringing voice to people who haven't had voices before. I I think it's a privilege uh, that, you know, places like... Places like um, TikTok, and I know this is really silly, but places like TikTok that, that exposes the world to each other through humor, through, through all kinds of stuff, right? And not, not, don't get me wrong. Please, 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 please. Obviously, TikTok is problematic. Obviously, it's got issues. It's a social construct. I mean, it's a social invention. It's made by men. It's going to have some damn issues. I get it. I get it. We're human. But what I'm saying is that, like, I was like scrolling through and people hearing a little Jamaican boy who's like five years old talk to their parents. And they're like, I don't know why I have never heard a child with a Jamaican accent. <laughs> I know what a Jamaican accent sounds like, but I never heard a child speak it. And it was just like blew my mind. And I thought it was funny because I was like, look at that exposure. 
it's something that people, you know, you listen to a little Irish child uh, talking with this very deep dialect and, and accent. And, and it, the people are exposed to that going, oh, my gosh, I never realized how much I would love to hear this all day long. You know, these kind of things. Um, and I love ha- seeing like people from different countries uh, teasing the United States or like talking about how the people in the United States are in all fun and games and all in humor. And it's just to me, it just shows that there's these constructs that are just not. Mm-hmm. It's just these uh, constructs that don't even reflect our human condition always. They never have. But more than that, it doesn't reflect how we see each other. You know, it, it really doesn't. I mean, you know, I'm being generous. But I feel like as I move along around the states, or if I move around the country and I move around the world, I know that humans are humans are humans. So when someone is crying, I understand that an offer of a hug can sometimes be helpful. And I don't need to speak their language, right? I know that a loss of a child is a profound and deep saddening that I don't need to speak that language for. I don't need to know their social constructs. I don't need to know what their social laws are to understand that pain, you know? The fear of oppression and the fear of, of, of silencing I don't need to, to understand what their social construct is to understand as a human being, what, how devastating, devastating. The thing is, is that it's not, as a black woman, I have personal connection. As white folks, how far away from that reality do you allow yourself to be? Sending prayers, that must be awful. Those are distancing comments. Those are distancing um, reflections it's distancing because you got to be able to put yourself in the situation and say what would i how, what what would i do and the fact that i could do this not why didn't they do that realizing that they couldn't have done that because of social because of discrimination and systemic racism oh i would have just done this stop yourself could they have done that? In real reality, do you understand the system that works for that particular person? Under the social constructs that we know of that race, of that ethnicity, of that foreign status? Could they have just? It's like just slow yourself down for a second. And when you know they just could not have just done that thing, the fact that you, you, know, the fact that you don't understand that gap is a part of where your racism lies and definitely where your privilege blinds you. And that's where the critical steps go to say, oh, well, what are they supposed to do if they can't do that? Oh, how can I help that? How can I open, make more awareness to that? Does everyone know that? And if everyone knows that, Are we doing something about that? We're collectively saying we don't care about that? Am I okay with that? I'm not okay with that. But see, the thing is, is that at that point, if you just go to bed being like, oh, I'm so depressed about it. But you don't go, how can I put some pressure on this? I love it. Someone was, uh, I would think I was saying that I, you know, you call your doctors out. You know how you get the insurance? Everyone's doing that insurance push right now. 
you know, you got to sign up for insurance and sign up for this and figure out what doctor you want and how much you want to pay or not pay or whatever. I don't know how many of y'all are actually asking about their equity stance or if there's any black doctors or, 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 or any of that. If you're white, you definitely should be. If you're black and brown and you're not, you definitely should be. Right? Just, just even if, whether or not you're going to take that doctor or not, because we most likely, we don't have a choice. We got to take the doctor. We got to take the doctor. But if, you, if we start asking in questions, what is the equity stance? How often do they have training? Is there any black doctors there? What's management look like? Do you have family rooms? What, it, what does it look like in your office for people, for, for uh, trans children? Right? Just know who, you're, know who you're giving your money to. Know who you're giving your numbers to. It makes a profound difference in funding. It makes a profound difference in understanding. It gives awareness to a system that believes it can continue to work without that. Without that awareness, without that fundamental push. And if the community, and I say community, you know, and I'm talking white folks because you have systemic power, start to push, it gives, a, it gives some grease to the protest outside, is all I'm saying, right? It gives some grease to the voices that are underrepresented and traditionally excluded. Uh, yeah. So as I started this podcast and the, this, um, this conversation, or actually just like <laughs> talk, talk, talk. Um, thank you. I, you know, have recognized the trauma that I have lived through. And I, I had someone call me yesterday and ask me some questions about my life and my journey. And they said, well, when did you recognize that, you know, activism is, was a part of your life? And I said, I don't, I don't know that I'm an activist. I know people have put me in that position. <laughs> but what I am is someone who... Um, has been broken and who had the miraculous ability to, to bring in and attract people who could help me stand again on my two feet and heal, recover and heal in a profound way. So in that way, if that's an activist movement or a revolutionary movement, it's only because the system bedded against me and I didn't hear that part you know a lot of the things that I have done since I was assaulted by Eugene Police Department in 2015 has been growth mindset but it with the with the intention of healing my childhood wounds of the belief that where I grew up in predominantly white spaces actually ever saw me as a whole person Right. You know, uh, my family is a, is a distinguished family. Our children are accomplished. Our family is accomplished. Our parents are accomplished. We're world travelers. We do speak other languages like we have PhDs in our family. We're well educated, always have been all the way back. Right. Entrepreneurs. Pharmacists, teachers, doctors. We're a privileged bunch of people. And. Privilege being that. I've always had the centerpiece of my family. My parents have always lived together. We're always together all the way up until my mother passed away. That's privilege. That's also strength. It's also discipline. And it's also pain. But what it absolutely is and what I think that this person was asking me through my activism is 
I don't question my right to be here. Period. Period. And I'm also not fighting about it. I don't have to fight you. I don't have to fight anyone. You know, if you believe I'm not supposed to be here, it has nothing to do with me. And I believe that wholeheartedly. You know, a lot of people are in pain. Most people are in pain, I would say. And we're all on different portions of a journey of healing. And some people, and I say on a, on a, on a spectrum of healing, because some people are not. They will not. Other people dive right into it and they lose themselves because they never want to come back to reality. <laughs> but reality requires discipline and discomfort. And growth is synonymous with that. So if that's activism, I guess. But I can definitely say that my podcast was never about you. And it was never for anyone else. It was an exercise in my right to speak and be heard. And it was an exercise to not correct in order to make anyone comfortable. That's why I don't, I still to this day do not, (laughs) I absolutely do not edit my podcast because what I, I said what I said. Now, if I want to grow from what I've said and say, hey, you know what? I've experienced something since I've said this thing and now this is what I've come up with. I'm, I do that all the time. But the exercise is, I am not here for you. But I do recognize that my wellness is tied up into yours. And I have the ability and I have the strength of my ancestors, of my parents, my siblings of the universe to teach and to be an example for others. And I don't take that lightly. However, that's not the purpose of my life is to nurture. And that is what I do in several different ways. So that's my perspective. If it's activism, that's only because it's under the guise of oppression. But if you understand black women, this is not something that we're doing in spite of white folks. This is what we do, period. (laughs) Period. And not every black woman's purpose is to nurture and to teach. But there's a strength that in this community that brings us back every single time. And that might be in spite of, but I do believe as the oldest working piece of civilization we're tied to the evolution of this earth in a way that is quite profound and if we can heal from the pain of white supremacy culture and we can come back together and see all of the range and all of the differences within the diaspora and see strength and connectivity in that, there just really isn't anything stopping it. There's just nothing. It's, it's literally that, that meme. You know, it's literally they thought they could bury us but didn't know we were seeds. It was, it's absolutely that. And I find a lot of strength in that. You know, someone asked me the other day, like, do you have... A feeling I talked about colorism since I'm a very light-skinned black woman. 
and said, you know, do you ever get to the interview? Do you ever get pushed back from darker black folks? And do you ever feel guilty for the privilege of light skin? And I thought, well, if I didn't understand that black folks suffer from white supremacy culture, I would probably take it personally. But if a black person, another black person, looks at me and decides that I have a value that has been pertain that I that I work under the guise of a value that has been placed upon me by society and they judge me for that, I understand the pain that they're work- working through. Again, has nothing to do with me. I also understand that they don't understand that blackness is not defined by white supremacy. Although they have want us to believe that if you don't know better than what they have shown us, that's what they will absolutely have you believing. That my light skin has more value than their dark skin. That's not our value system. That's not the center of black di- uh, the black diaspora. That is a byproduct of white supremacy that we have bought into and that our minds are still healing from. And some people will never heal from that. Again, I don't take that personally. I recognize the pain. I can be empathetic and compassionate, but if I allow that to define how I show up, I'm getting sucked right back into what I already know is not true. White folks cannot tell me, the system, white systemic racism cannot tell me that my black, dark, melanated, richly melanated skin those sisters and brothers have any less value than me. My whole family is a, is a rainbow of brown. And th- there's, no, there's no telling that whites, white folks or the system can t- say which one of us has more monetary value than the other. That's not my system. That's not what I live through. And that's not what I'm fighting against. So I hope that answered some questions and got some people thinking. I'm going to let you guys go now because it's super sunny here. I know it's not sunny in North America right now. I'm sorry and not sorry at the same time. Um, But I really appreciate you coming and tuning in. I appreciate you coming to my podcast and checking me out. Also, you know, um, I'll be on the East Coast soon. And I will be looking to be writing and I'll be looking to be lecturing and I'll be doing much more work with the prevention of child abuse, much more work in the equity of perinatal care for black and brown women. So support, follow me, see what's going on. Maybe we'll cross paths. And in that time, see what you can do to disrupt the system. Even if it's just asking your Batista, where the black folks at? All right, y'all have a great day.